Hey, how many of you ladies were here Thursday night for the Big T event? That was awesome and amazing. Ladies, way to go on that. All kinds of people coming out to that. Long time crossing people as well as people who've never been here before. Fantastic job with that. Uh, if you are a part of our Crosspoint family, this quick little bit of 30-second business is for you. I sent a letter out to you guys this week. You should have it in the mail already. If you haven't checked your mail, go check that out. Uh, as we wrap the year up, one of the things that's super important for those of you who have had a good year, which might be not everybody, if you've had a good year financially, God's really blessed you. I want to boldly, boldly encourage you to consider Crosspoint for a significant year and gift. Every year, those kinds of gifts that come in at the end of the year, because God has really blessed you, have done a significant job in helping us end the year strong and get us launched to next year. So just a quick bit of business on that. Read that letter. Consider that strongly as you wrap up the year. Remember when you were a kid and the Christmas tree went up and the lights went up and underneath, look at her, oh my gosh. <laughs> underneath the tree were presents. And when the presents came out and you're a kid, your question was, When? Maybe if you were like me and my brother and we were going up, we didn't even know what was in them because we went and took the presents um, and unwrapped them, saw it there and rewrapped them again. And then had to fake it on Christmas there, stuff like that. But when do we get to open these presents? When, when, when? Now imagine now an alternative universe where it's, hmm, it's like the Twilight Zone or Black Mirror or one of those kind of crazy bizarre shows where the kids come down on Christmas morning and mom and dad go... Yeah, not yet. Not yet. And they think, okay, at the end of the day, not yet. And then the next day comes, not yet. And then a week goes by, and it's still not yet, not yet, not yet. But, but someday you'll be able to. Someday you'll get these presents. What would your question be? When or how long or I need to call Child Protective Services on my parents. They're crazy, psychotic, bizarre people here what they've done here to torture us as children. This is the question that we hit at this first episode of our Christmas series, that when life is a mess and challenging and difficult, we wonder, how long? How long till it changes? How long till it turns around? Some of us face, face that right now. If you're a, one of the questions that came up is, how long till the Chargers learn how to win? How long, really? And then again, for, my, for the people I know, there's a lot of Padre fans, a lot of Dodger fans here. How long is it going to be till the Dodgers quit getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs despite having the highest payroll in baseball? Yeah, yes, yeah, the Padre fans are with me on that. I get that. Um, all, how long? How long till the diet and exercise that I'm doing actually works? How long till I develop the discipline to do it? How long? And then, then all the, the movies that come out, the holiday warmth and all the Christmas cheer that happens right now. All the, the, these Christmas movies that are out there, the, the classic ones that are out there, what are some of the classic movies? Elf, Wonderful Life, Die Hard, yes. Yeah, Rudolph. Yeah, all those movies start off with how long? How, how, long's, how long is it going to be till, till, the, till the one with the really kind of bizarre looking face with that bulbous nose that kind of glows until he stops being excluded? How long? How long does Ralphie have to wait to get their magic red rider rifle? How long till elves, till Buddy, the elf's dad, cares about him and not just about the books that he writes for children? How long? How long? How long? How 
long. And today, maybe you're at a place, you'll see there on the back of your program, there's a note sheet. And there's a thing that says, how blank long. You can put whatever word you want in there to describe. It's how blankety blank long. Uh, is it going to be till some of these things turn around? And at the very first Christmas, we sometimes have this nostalgic view of the first Christmas of little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay, silent night, holy night. Guys, the first Christmas was a mess. It was a mess, and Christ enters into the mess uh, to change and turn everything around. But the context here of what happens here in Isaiah, Isaiah is, is a guy who's a prophet, a leader in Israel. About 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah comes on the scene, and he's talking about a time, it's a mess right now, we've done some stupid wrong things, but God's going to turn it around. But here's the context. Chapter 8, verse 20, the, the words will be up here on the screen. It says this, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. It's awful. It's terrible. It's a mess. And then chapter 9, nevertheless, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on Mark that your Bible, forever. It's bad, it's a mess, it won't go on forever. It's going to talk, then he talks about in here all, all these things that are going to happen. But understand the mess of the first century Christmas was God had been promising for a long time that I'm going to come here, you're my chosen people. You're my chosen people, you, you Israelite, you, you, you nation here, you're my chosen ones. And people are going, really? How long, God, till we feel like we're chosen? Or no, we're chosen for blessing, not chosen for discipline and punishment because it was just bad. They had been exiled to Babylon. Babylon, The Babylonian Empire came in, uh, those of you who pay attention to world history, uh, with the major world empire, and they get exiled to Babylon. God, after 70 years, allows the kingdom of Persia to take over, and Persia resettles them back into their homeland. And everybody thinks, okay, yeah, God answered our prayer, except <laughs> Persia goes, look, it's not really your country anymore. We're ruling over you. We're just letting you stay here. So Persia rules. And about the time that Persia kind of goes on the downslide, another world empire emerges, the Greek empire. The, the Greek empire emerges. And what happens with the nation of Israel, that, that land area there and those people, they're a pawn in the scheme of using them to, to leverage things against Syria, against Egypt, against all the different nations around there. And they're just exploited and abused. And just when you think, okay, Greece is fading and they're going down. Rome bursts on the scene. And despite all of the movies you have seen, and despite all the PBS specials you've seen about the enlightened, beautiful Roman Empire, just read history. Rome was a brutal empire. The reason they could rule the world is because they came in with their army and said, we will slaughter all of you. They would destroy whole cities. One whiff of a rebellion will just wipe you out. So this is what Israel's got going on. The Roman army is in there occupying them, heavily taxing them. It's awful. It's terrible. It is what Isaiah describes here 700 years previous. It is outer darkness. And it's terrible. But then he says, nevertheless, something great is coming. He talks about in here. Look at these. 
in verse 3, you'll enlarge the nation of Israel. They'll rejoice like at the harvest time. This is economic prosperity is coming. Uh, you'll break the yoke of their slavery. No longer will you, will, will you have people ruling over you. You'll have freedom, uh, all that. There won't even be war anymore. We're going to burn all the weapons, burn all the, the army uniforms. We're not going to need them anymore. We're going to burn them all because there's going to be radical peace. So he says something great is coming, and he says not just something great is coming, someone great is coming. Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. This is a prophecy 700 years before Jesus shows up that someone's coming. Someone's coming to set all of this thing right. So he's saying, hey, it's bad right now, but hang on, help is on the way. Help is coming. And you're hearing that going, okay, God, you said this now for a long time, over and over again, just hang on, it's bad, but just hang on. It's going to get better. In Genesis chapter 3, God, it records how God makes the world, speaks the universe into existence, makes human beings. Human beings, us, Adam and Eve, personified in Adam and Eve, <laughs> decide, God, we like your stuff, just go away and leave us alone. And sin enters into the cosmos. And sin, guys, gets into everything. We're so used to sin now that it doesn't freak us out anymore. It's just it's enmeshed in every fiber, every fabric of everything we are and everything that we do. He says it's going to be a curse on the world that's going to be here. He says, but someone is coming. Someone is coming. That, that evil, that sin, that's like a snake that will strike at the heel of, of goodness and righteousness and all that stuff. He says it's going to strike at that heel, but that heel will come down and crush his head. Speaking of a time when Jesus would come 4,000 years later. So Adam and Eve here, here, we screwed this up. We've made a mess out of this. Oh, no. God says, don't worry. Someone's coming. And then they have a baby. Someone's coming. Is this it? Well, that's not it. Because that baby actually kills the next baby, kills the next kid. Read about it. Cain and Abel. That'll start going, well, that, that didn't go how we thought. And for 4,000 years, they're waiting for something to happen. God sends other people along. You can, there's verses there on your notes. We're not going to read them in detail. But uh, Micah, 700 years now before Jesus shows up, 700 years before Jesus shows up, Micah shows up and says, hey, someone's coming and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then Hosea tells us 700 years before Jesus, out of Egypt. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, but for some reason, somehow he's going to get down to Egypt and out of Egypt, I'm going to call him back to save the world. And you're thinking, okay, that's awesome, God. But now it's been 3,300 years since we've heard about the first, you know, they crushed the heel and all, crushed the head and all that stuff. When's that going to happen? How long? God says, okay, just be patient. So Isaiah shows up about 50 years later. <clears throat> A child's coming. A child's coming. And the question is, how long? How long? How long till the mess gets fixed? 100 years later, Jeremiah shows up. Jeremiah shows up and talks about this idea that a king of the world is coming, but the kings of the world are going to be threatened by him, and the kings of the world are going to try to slaughter him. And in doing that, they're going to slaughter all the children around the place where he was born. Actually, it's recorded for us in Matthew. Jeremiah, about 600 years before that happens, says the king is coming. They're going to try to kill him. They won't be able to, but a great slaughter is going to happen. And you hear that, okay, okay God, but that's the mess. How long? And then 200 more years go by. Think about 200 years ago. Do the math on your head. What, 1824? 23, sorry. 1823. 
you heard, okay, someone's coming, and still 200 years have gone by, and nothing has gotten better. In fact, in some ways, maybe it gets worse, and it's awful and terrible. And then Malachi shows up, or Malachi from my Italian friends. Um, and he's 400 years before Jesus is born. He says, hey, guys, guess what? Get ready. Not just someone's coming, but prepare the way. Get ready. Get ready, because someone is coming. You go, okay, someone's coming. That's awesome, God. And you know what God does after that? Goes silent. Ghosts us for 400 years. Not a prophet, not a vision, not any promise that, hey, just hang on, help us on the way. And it's terrible. The Greeks come in, the Romans rule, it goes from bad to worse, and it's awful. And they keep thinking, how long is this going to happen? God tells us through Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, he says, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Now I hear that and think, really? So God, it's been four thousand years since you said someone's coming. Now, I know 4,000 years isn't forever, but 4,000 years is a honking long time. Guys, I wait four minutes for the barista to get the coffee right at the place I go. I go crazy. And then imagine now, not four minutes, now imagine it's four days. Hey, hang on, it's coming. Now four weeks, four months, four years, 40 years, 400 years, 4,000, nothing has happened. You go, God, really? It sure feels like it. And some of us here at Christmas time, maybe in the mess of Christmas, are maybe asking that same question, God, how long? Hmm. How long till someone likes me, loves me, for my single friends? I just, I'm doing things right and I can't seem to find that person, that someone who, how long is that going to be? And then <laughs> some of us found that one. We thought they were the one. They were awesome. They were amazing. And then you went, hmm, hmm, hmm. Maybe you're sitting next to them today and you can't say it out loud because we have to. <laughs> how long? How long till this marriage turns around? And then how long till we get to have a good baby? Infertility issues and struggles. And you see people that have kids and think, how come they just, like babies like this, and we'd be great parents and we just, how long, God? And then you have those children. Their hopes and dreams, right? I have a little grandbaby right now. She's five, almost six months old. And they're beautiful and amazing. But somewhere in there, what, about seven, eight, nine, or 13. And for some of us, we have children in our lives right now that aren't just frustrating and difficult. They're breaking our hearts right now. They're breaking our hearts right now. When is my child going to turn around, God? Because you told us, God, if we raised them right, we weren't perfect, we raised them right, and they've rejected, well, how long? How long till my finances and job situation turns around? How long till the pain and suffering that I'm just feeling in my body and all that stuff, and sometimes not even the pain and suffering, I talk to people all the time, the mental health issues, the anxiety, the depression, that only gets worse, doesn't it, at Christmas time? It just feels like it gets worse, because... Peace on earth, goodwill to men. You're going, man, I'd love to forget peace on earth. I'd have peace in my mind. <sighs> the pace of life slows down. It gets crazy. The commuting and the life and the challenge of managing all that. 
Uh, I know, too, sometimes I chat with people, and they, some of you are here today, and you care for a lot of people. Your, your moms and dads, single moms, single dads, in the workplace, in your home, here at church, different places. You care for people like crazy. You really care for them. And you care, and you pour out, and you pour out, and you pour out, pour out, and you wouldn't say it out loud, but you think it in your head. When's someone going to check on me? How long does someone check on me to see how I'm doing? Because I'm caring and I'm giving. I'm trying to do everything I can. Just how long? How long till I get my Hallmark moment? How, how, how long? Look, Buddy's dad at the end of the movie like turns it around, right? Uh, and he gets his dad back and it's a great relationship. But when's that going to turn around for me? How long? When, when's that going to happen for me? Ebenezer Scrooge, the jerk, awful, terrible boss. God, at the end, you watch what happens here, and his life turns around, and it's the hope of, he gets the moment here. When's that coming for me? When's it coming for me when Ralphie gets his rifle? When do I get mine? When do I get that thing that I want here? And then the whole crazy story of the Grinch, who wrecked and jacked up the holidays and was terrible. How long, God? And at the end of that movie, and what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. You're waiting for that for somebody in your life, maybe for yourself? And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. Where is that happening for me? For my family, for my kids, for my husband, for my, when's it going to happen for me? When do I get my Hallmark moment? And the holidays magnify this for us because we compare and we wonder. Their life is good. How come not mine? Now, one quick little side note here. For everybody, everybody you look around here today or in your workplace or in your school, you think their life is good, they're amazing, they're faking it. It's not near as good as you think it is. Not near as good. Quit comparing their highlight reel to your everyday footage. That will help kind of do that. Now, when you get to places like this, wondering how long, God, how long for me? They were wondering at the first Christmas, how long till the Savior, till this Messiah person comes to save us? How long, God, till you're going to turn some things around in my life? And you wonder, is it okay to ask that question, be mad and frustrated with God? Or do I have to get my act together and apologize to God before I can ask him for things? Just read the Bible. Because sometimes you think, well, I, I can't be that bold with God because if I am, I'm going to make God mad. Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a guy, he writes as a prophet of God. Look, he's not writing as somebody who's angry at God because his life's a mess. He's a Christian. He's a God-fearing, God-loving man speaking. He wrote a book of the Bible for crying out loud. You know how he starts his letter? Starts his thing? Not with God, you're amazing. God, you're, you're beautiful. Thank you for everything you've done for me. You know he starts off with? Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long, God, must I call for help, but you don't listen? You ever been there? I've been knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. Are you in the Bahamas on vacation? Revelation 6.10. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us. Some of you are thinking, man, I've, got, I've been screwed over. I've been jacked around. People have made a mess out of my life. God, when are they going to get their punishment? 
when are they going to get what's coming to them? Because they just keep getting away with it. How long? And then read the book of Psalms sometimes. In the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 6, verse 3 says this. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. You know what that is right there? Bones are in agony, sick at heart. That is physical stuff. That is mental health stuff and anxiety. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Uh, Psalm 13. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Ever been there? I get that you've got a universe to run and maybe I've got to learn some things forever. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the struggle to my eyes or I will die. This is not like, oh gosh, I'm struggling here. This is, if you don't do something about this, I'm done. This is someone who is borderline suicidal. This is not I will die because life's going to crush into me like I'm done. Psalm 35, 17, I am attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. They mock me and call me names. They snarl at me. How long, O oh Lord, will you look on and do nothing? These are people that write the Bible, guys. So if you're today at a place right now going, maybe somebody drug you to church asked you to come to church, maybe you thought, well, it's Christmas time, maybe we should go check out church. Again, you're wondering, but do you have, your act, do you have to have your act together and give it all, your life together? You just don't. If you're a place of how long right now, you're in the right place. But here's the problem with how long. Because you can ask how long, how long, how long, and then how long becomes too long. God, it's too long. And when how long becomes too stinking long or too Blankety blank, blank long. Here's the things that we will do. Number one, write this down. Um, we will just try harder. How many out there are my firstborn tightly wound people here today? Yeah, raise your hand high because you know who you are. That's me. That this is us. Just try harder. Just suck it up, man. Just, man, we're the ones, we're going we're gonna to make it work and we, get, we rush around. We get more stressed out because we're going to the one, we're going to crash, we're going to make this thing happen. It's the, the Adam Sandler Waterboy movie. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You tell the, you're the Katy Perry, I'm a lion. You're going to hear me roar because, man, we're going to do it. I, I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to solve my marriage. I'm going to solve my fine. I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. And we'll even take this into how we do our relationship with God. It'll be, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get up early and stay up late. I'm going to join a ministry team here at Crosspoint, join a small group here. I'm going to give some money that year and things. I'm going, to get, I'm going to take all the ornaments off that tree over there. God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just try harder. Thinking somehow when we do this, what we're doing here is, okay, God, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. I should be on the nice list now. You owe me. And nobody would ever say it that boldly, but we would sure think it. We would sure think it. And sometimes, too, we, when we just try harder and God isn't coming through, we set up our own website called steveredenconsultsgod.com. And I give, i got to help God out because God clearly, clearly needs some help because he's doing 
nothing right now. There's a great story in the book of Genesis. God comes to a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. He becomes the founder of the Jewish nation. Abraham has no children. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, a huge nation. Now, if you're going to become a great nation of having great many of descendants, what do you have to have first? One descendant, right? You know how many he has? None. And God promises him this around 65, 70 years old. And years and years and years go by and nothing happens. So Abraham and Sarah go, okay, God must be busy right now. He must want us to put our faith into action, take matters into our own hands. I know the Bible says we shouldn't do this, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one of our employees, one of our servants here. Abraham, you're going to go in with her. You're going to conceive a child through her. And then we'll count that baby as our own. And we'll just kind of adopt them. And that will be how we will do that. We will just try harder. We will give God some help and take matters into our own hands. You know what happens when they do that? You're reading about the headlines today. What's going on right now over in Palestine, Israel, is because of that decision where somebody thought, I'm smarter than God. I can't wait on God. I've got to do it myself. Now, this doesn't mean being lazy. It doesn't mean you sit back and just, well, just let God do it. But when you violate clear things that God has said, trying to help God out, that's never going to please God. It's always going to go south if you do that. We just try harder. The second thing we do, when how long is too long, we just fake it. If, if we can't have it together, we'll just fake it like we do. The image of having everything together. TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook are all examples of faking it. Nobody's life looks like that in real life. And, and at this time of the year, with the holiday season, it, it puts a lens on this kind of stuff. Because here's the image we have. Take a look real quick at some of these images. Do we have that first one of the mom and dad? Yeah, we go. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? That's Christmas at your house, right? <laughs> and then the Christmas cards we're going to get. Look at them. Isn't that beautiful? The kid in the middle, just, hey, boy, tilt your head slightly this way. Next one, just keep going, yeah. Beautiful family, all excited. The kids all great and excited. One more, I think, is up there. Just freeze that there. All those beautiful pictures, you know what we do with that? We get our kids together and we threaten them with an inch of their life. <laughs> or we, we bribe them, bribe them with crazy stuff to get them to behave that day. Because we want to make sure everybody thinks we have an awesome family. Because the truth is, here's what it really looks like. Merry and bright, and I love this next one. Here's here we have twin boys, joy and peace. <laughs> joy and peace, and then here's the classic one of all time, right here. Yeah. We try to fake it. Just try to fake it just to help everybody else think that we're as awesome as we are. Or we go from just trying harder, if we're just trying harder doesn't work, we just fake it, and then we just go. I give up. It's never going to get better. My marriage, my health, my money, my kids, just give up. It's just not going to happen. We lower our expectations and just settle. We drink, we shop, we watch. All attempts just to numb it because it's just so, ugh, I just can't stand it anymore. 
three, three ways that we try to cope with how long, when how long is too long. I want to give you a fourth one, a fourth option that's so much better. And the fourth one is this, is to remember three key things. First of all, remember the promise. Remember the promise that God will deliver eventually. He's, not, he's, never, late, he's never early. I'm, I get the quote wrong. He's never late, but never early either. We never know when he's going to show up. Find the book of Romans in your Bible. Romans chapter 8. I want you to see this for yourself. So uh, get a mobile device out. Go to a website, the Bible search or Bible.com, whatever, and find Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 22. Sneak preview coming while you're turning there. Uh, after the first of the year, this is the series we're going to be in for a bit. We're going to go through the book of Romans and take a look at this fantastic piece of literature that God has put here in the scriptures for us. Romans 8.22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now dudes read that and go, we hear groaning and go, oh, my back hurts. Oh, or my leg hurts or oh, I got a headache. Groaning, like, oh, groaning. Ladies, what is groaning as in the pains of childbirth sound like? Yeah, right. It is, now again, and remember here guys, this is for the days of the kind of stuff they have now available to women in the hospital who are giving birth to children where they can take care of some, maybe all that pain. I, I, I don't know. But you natural childbirth moms that have done this, that pain is not just, uh, it is, ah! This is the groaning, he says, that's going on in creation. It's, it's this kind of, and it's like we kind of laugh a little bit today, because, but it's not funny. It's awful, this kind of pain that we go through. He says, creation has been groaning right up to the present time, and we believers also groan. Not the unsaved, unbelieving world out there who deserve all their groaning because they're sinners and terrible. People that are Christians, he says, you believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. God will deliver eventually. Now, guys, hope is not hype. Hype is like, hey, just hang on. It's coming. Just hang on. It's just right around the corner. Look at me for a second. Your, your life is not going to give you everything you want it to, ever in this life, ever. God makes it very clear here that we don't, the hype is all about you can get your best life now. Just believe God and trust God and pray more and give more. And yeah, just, yeah, you can get it. No, you can't. He says right here, if we already have something, do you need to hope for it? You don't need to hope for it because you've got it in your hands. It's already there. You've got it. He says right now, if you're whether you're a Christian or not yet today, some of you are not yet Christians, you're still checking things out here. Those of you who are Christians, 
you've been told that, man, it's amazing, just trust God and your life will be amazing. And it is amazing, but I'm telling you, your life is not going to give you everything that you hope it will. That's coming someday on the other side of the last breath that you take. You, you, you don't have it all right now. So he says, just hold on to the promise that, that it's not going to all be amazing and fantastic right now. This helps you then when you're going through difficult times to know that God, that song we sing here, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working, but you never stop working, which is the second thing we got to remember, not just remember the promise, remember the purpose. Then when you don't know the plans God has for you, in the midst of groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, as being angry and frustrated, things are just difficult and challenging, I don't get this, I hate this, what is going on here? A few verses later he says, and we know, Romans 8, 28, that God causes, what's that next word there? Really? Everything to work together for good. This sounds almost like borderline psychotic denial. Because I get God causes most things to work together for good. Even the trials, and most things work together, but everything? Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What it means when it says that God causes everything to work together for your good and for God's ultimate purpose for you is not your best life now necessarily. Now, guys, I pray that God gives us our best life now. I'm all the time praying, God, I want more money and more this and more that. I want all these. Fantastic. I want all that stuff. But God's ultimate purpose for you is not just to make you a happy American. It's just not. His ultimate purpose for you is found in that next verse, Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's purpose for you, look right at me, eyeballs on me, everyone. God's purpose for you is not to make you happy, it's to make you like Jesus. That's what he's there, that's what he's there to do. And some of you have been sold a bill of goods, like just come to church and get religion, and God's going like, to be like sprinkling magic pixie dust and sprinkle dust all over you, and he's going to just make everything turn out right for you. Maybe and maybe not. But ultimately, no matter what happens to you, if your money turns around or doesn't turn around, if your marriage turns around, if your kids turn around, if they do or they don't, God is using everything in your life, every single thing, to make you more like Jesus. This is what it talks about. Peter talks about this. One of Jesus' first followers, he talks about in a letter he writes some years later, he says, the trial of your faith is like gold refined in the fire. Then in order for that gold to become pure, it's got to go through some stuff. It's got to go through some difficulty. And that's how you're made more like Jesus. Now, truthfully, I sign up for cash and prizes. I want cash and prizes from Jesus. I don't want trials from Jesus. I don't know. I don't want any of that stuff. I want presents under the tree, not like, oh, how long, God, till things turn around for me. But God's got a purpose for you. And we don't know the plan. Important thing here, I guess, is this. There's been a time or two in my life where I was at a place going through some stuff. This is many, many years ago now, but I was really first getting serious in my relationship with God. I was at a place in a college dorm room and just going through some stuff. The details don't matter. 
but it hurt so bad. I was so, oh. I thought this is why people would kill themselves. Because if there's no purpose for this, this hurts too bad just to live with this. And the way you're going to hang on is to recognize that God's got a purpose even for the terrifying stuff, even for the awful stuff. He's going to use that to make you more like Jesus. And when that happens, you will discover joy that goes beyond any of the trinkets and any of the pictures and any of the presents that are going to come at Christmas time. Now, we talked about, uh, remember, the promise and the purpose. And because, you know, I like to keep things alliterated and all cute and nice and everything, what you think the next one should be, don't put it up yet, it should be God's provision, that God's going to provide some things for us. And he certainly does. And I pray for that at Christmas time. Pray for, uh, you know, bonuses for all you guys and financial blessings and marital blessings and kid blessings and healing from the pain and suffering of your mind, soul, heart, and body. We want all those things for us. But in the midst of it, the ultimate thing that we need is not just the, the provision. We need the person. Write that down. The person. Because Isaiah writes, he says, look, all these great things are coming. But he says, here's the deal. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And we have thought, sadly, in the West, especially uh, under times of economic prosperity, relatively speaking, that when you trust God for your life, he comes in and he's like Santa Claus. And he, he's out there to give gifts to us. And certainly the Bible is going to tell us that. That God, he's like a great dad. He loves to give good gifts to his children. But I'm telling you right now, if you get the provision of God without the, the person of God, you're going to discover it's just going to be empty. Because God can pour down blessings on your life. Guys, some of you know this, right? You, you get the present. You get the thing. It turns around and it's good for a while. Go, That's interesting because it really hasn't done that thing that I wanted it to do in my heart and my soul. That peace, that joy that never goes away. You know where the peace and joy comes from? Not from provision, but from the provider. It's this thanks be to God, Paul says, for his unspeakable gift. And not his unspeakable gifts of giving us a bunch of stuff, but the gift of himself in the person of Jesus. Simeon and Anna are two people in the temple when Jesus is born. It's eight days later. They come into like a baby dedication thing in the Jewish culture. It's how they did things back then. And they're waiting. It says they're waiting expectantly for God to come. And when, and when Jesus shows up, he goes walking by. And they go, <gasps> God has come now. And, and their whole deal is like, it's not like, hey, anything turned around for them. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, this child has come, and now the heavens open up, the Romans get, get kicked out. They're obliterated. They get peace and prosperity. But someone has come. The one they were waiting for has come. This is the message of Christmas. Christ in the mess is he doesn't always solve your problems. Like I said, I pray and hope that he does. But even when he doesn't, even when he doesn't, he can provide joy and peace even in the midst of the trials. We need to stop looking for what and start looking for who. Not looking for what. It's the, the line, it's a song we sing here all the time. That Jesus, I'm not here for blessings. You don't owe me anything. More than anything you can do, I just want you. And when you just get him, all the rest of the stuff of the world while it's important and you'd love to have it, it just won't matter as much. It won't determine your happiness and your joy when you get the person 
of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that uh, he says there, let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Guys, you're going to find joy in the mess of the holiday season by keeping the focus on Jesus. The band's going to come up right now. I don't know where you're at today with some of this. Some of you might need prayer today because you might have real stuff going on in your life right now. I mean, legit, capital S kind of stuff. Our prayer team is at the back of the house in that back corner of the room. The lights are going to go down here in a bit. If you need prayer for anything, I'd encourage you, make your way back there. Make your way back there and just talk to them about stuff. Some of you today, maybe it's the time for you. Hmm. that you've been looking for God to solve your problems. And what you need is not a problem solver. You need, you need the person of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're a spiritual and good person, decent person, or maybe like Brandon's story, like you came to our church going, I don't know, I'm just going to try this out again or for the first time. Maybe today's the day you say, all right, I'm going to step over that line of faith and say, yes, I believe. I believe that Jesus came and lived, was that little baby born in the manger, lived the life in my place that I was supposed to live, and died in my place the death I deserved to die. And I believe that that counts for me to forgive my sins and restore me back to a relationship with God. If that's you today, on your connection card, jot us a note about that. I'm going to be up here uh, after the service when we get all done. Come down and chat with me about that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Go back and pray with our prayer team about that as well. We give you a chance every week here at, at Cross Point to receive communion. It's in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. Hmm. We talked about it today to remember that what we want to remember here is not just the good things God has done for us. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Remember the person. Remember the ultimate thing God gave you was not provision. He gave you himself. And celebrate the fact that 2,000 years ago, what got me back to a relationship with God was his body was broken, his blood was spilled. God, a world full of longing, a world full of questions, a world full of anxiety and oh, what is going on here? You're the answer. And Jesus, today we celebrate you as the answer to the deepest, deepest longings of our soul.